Is it boldness you crave and don't have it? Is it courage you seek and can't find it? You're in luck. The bravest hour in radio starts right now. Welcome to the Matthew Dark Show. You know what woke means? It means you're a loser. If we lose freedom here, there is no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. Where hypocrisy meets accountability. I just want to do God's will. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Sit back and enjoy, or call in and get involved. The prisoner wishes to say a word. Ladies and gentlemen, it's showtime. Now here's your host. Take it away, Matthew. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in and welcome aboard. This is the Matthew Dark Show and wherever, however you join us, we thank you. Now remember, hit subscribe everywhere you get your shows, especially on Rumble, and never miss an episode. We thank you in advance for that. Our guest is a special one today because anytime we can get insight, a live look at healthcare, especially as it re- relates to COVID and those that are taking the patient side, patient advocates, it's important to us. Our guest is Rochelle Voth. She's out of me, uh, and we've had Doc Meehan, so our listeners know his stuff. She's out of Meehan's clinic. Welcome in. How are you, ma'am? Doing well. Thank you. What an introduction. Thank Excellent. You. Absolutely. Well, now you're a physician's assistant with, right. with Doc Meehan. Yes. at mehanmd.com. That is the one way you can find her and get right up to speed with her. Now, mm-hmm. I'm always interested in this. When, you know, when COVID happened, p- providers took, you know, one path or the other. They joined right. the government and they suppressed cure or and they promoted a vaccine or they said, I'll stand for my patient. You stood right. for your patient. I just take me back because I also want to see what it's like today. Just take me back to that moment where you kind of had that uh, what do we do here? And and you just yeah. naturally go towards patient patient advocacy. So start there, will you, if you would? Sure. You know, my journey was really an evolution because so my background for the listeners is I was eight years of hospitalist experience. Um, so anything from ER to floor work, you know, if you had heart failure, pneumonia um, or a stub toe, that was you know, my primary uh, plan of care and helping you. Um, So, but then I transitioned into what's called an LTAC. And so an LTAC is similar, think of like an ICU, but it's for people who need ICU type level care for 25 days or more. Um, So they're long-term. So what I got um, put in in place during the acute COVID crisis was ventilation weaning. So the main mm-hmm. hospital would do all of the principal treatments, so remdesivir, tar, you know, tocilizumab, saralumab, um, whatever was being used by either the infectious disease panel at that time or the administrative, you know, funnel down. Sure. Um, and then they would come to me after they had received those drugs, and uh, they would be ventilated, intubated, and sometimes they would recover, you know, within a few days. Sometimes they would take three months, or sometimes they would pass away. And so that was my background coming into this. Wow. So while I was with these um, patients, you know, in the beginning phase, nobody really knew much, um, and right. we were just following protocols and we were following the latest research, right? Right. Theoretically. Um, so I was starting to observe some things um, because I would have, for example, a 35-year-old mother who would come in and she would get remdesivir and tocilizumab and she would decompromise quickly and she'd be placed in a ventilator. And then she would have a pretty horrible journey um, of recovery. And actually in one case, you know, pass away from an opportunistic fungal infection, which was side note, a black box warning of one of these drugs that we get. 
And then I would have an 85 year old little lady who had heart failure, who had some renal failure, and maybe was diabetic. And she would have some pre-existing states that would not allow her to get the top gun drugs at the time. Mm-hmm. And she would do fine. She mm-hmm. would take three weeks, but she, when she would need what we call high flow heated nasal cannula oxygen. So 40 liters of oxygen she'd be wearing, but we would get her off of it in about a three week time frame. Mm-hmm. So I just started seeing this discrepancy and I started actually reading um, the CAT scans of these you know, patients because I, I'm a little bit of a nerd and a guru. I used to sit in the ICU during yeah. PA school and actually walk, you know, go through these things. Um, <laughs> scans. Anyways, nice. and so I was seeing in the scans, started to observe, you know, this we could say COVID's really bad. We could say there's COVID pneumonia, which is how most of these scans read in the beginning. Or we could say this kind of looks like a connective tissue disease. Um, and you know, fibrotic tissue or scar tissue or inflammation tissue. And I started wondering, is it really? is it really COVID that's doing that? Or is it possibly a side effect of the drugs? Cause these can be side effects of those drugs. And at the same time, at the time that I started realizing that um, the radiologist in, in my group where I was working, they actually started writing that too wow. in their radiology reports. They would say, looks like COVID pneumonitis or COVID pneumonia, or could be drug reaction. I'm paraphrasing here, but you sure. know, tissue disease like state. Wow. I was like, well, we're on the same page here. Uh-huh. And you know, just the power of observation. I'm still not fully out of you know, this hospitalist mindset at that time. Sure. So I started observing that. And if I started treating people a little bit more as if they had an autoimmune or a drug side effect problem, they did better than if I tried to continue to treat COVID, right? Uh Uh So just power of observation. Um, And then, you know, it started the vaccines rolled out. Uh, The mandates came. Um, I had to fight for my job three times because, you know, I not want it. Um, I thought it's experimental, not proven to me yet. I'm going to wait. I'm a little bit more cautious in that sense. Amen. And as these vaccines came out, vaccines, you know, really genetic technology and therapies sure. uh, with specific modified RNA ones. As, exactly. yep. mm-hmm. as that came out, I started seeing and observing people coming into the LTAC with symptoms and clusters of, of syndromes that just didn't make sense. They were irrespective to their age, their comorbidity, uh, their health risk factors, uh, their other prior conditions that were existing. And I just started making a list. Literally, I had like a little, you know, post-it note and yeah. I started writing their names, which, you know, vaccine they got and just observing. Wow. Um, and I started to realize that there was something in the water. You know, there was something that we couldn't diagnose with blood work um, or it was, you know, a, a state of inflammation that seemed to really just all of a sudden rev up or an undiagnosable cancer, but we really suspected it was there. We just couldn't find it, you know, with the time that we had. Um, and so I had one case in particular, and it was actually the last patient I treated before I resigned. Wow. Um, and I can share her story because her family's authorized me to say, yeah. you might've heard it before, but um, she was in her mid eighties and she went acutely psychotic and she went into renal failure to the point that she was placed on hemodialysis within a short time frame. And she got a full blown workup, million dollar workup over at the outlying facility before she came to me. So for a month, they threw antibiotics at her. They did like a hematology workup. They did a cancer workup. They did a neurological stroke workup. Nobody could figure anything out. They did a psychiatric workup and they're like, we don't know what happened. She just has probably rapid onset of Alzheimer's dementia within a month. And she stopped eating. So she went into renal failure, which Uh, doesn't make sense. Right. All so, this is happening too fast. Too fast. Right. And nobody stopped to pause and say, hey, what what else could be in there? So I get her into my care um, in a month and I continue her workup. I find out she had had a squirrel bite, you know, two months before symptoms. So I'm doing a tick panel to see if there's something <laughs> weird. Wow. 
you know, I did a deep dive is what yeah. I would, would call it. And the, the physician yeah. I was looking at that time, he had always used to joke about, I'm a deep dive girl. Nice. Um, so I deep dived and come to find out she had received, she had had shot one, shot two of Pfizer. Then she had had a shot three booster of, uh, I think it was either Pfizer or Moderna. And then she had had a shot four booster three days before the onset of all of her symptoms. Ah. And I said, okay, and still at this time, I'm still kind of, you know, jury's still out. I wasn't like a full on. Just help us. What year, what basic year month is this? We talking? This would be 2022 at this point. Okay, got it. It's been out a year or so more. And here we go. Okay, gotcha. Go ahead. Continue. End of that year or so. Um, And so what happened was I was like, hold on. So at this time, I'm aware of ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. I'm aware of alternative strategies. I'm aware that something's not right with this modified RNA platform. It seems to hyper attenuate inflammatory states or, you know, push pre-existing conditions into flow bone clinical skills. Um, And so I went before internal medicine. I went before the nephrologist on the team. I went before my internal medicine physician at the time and our pharmacist. And I said, Hey, nothing else has proven to work. Um, and I said, I have these documents, I have this research that shows that ivermectin might help, you know, and some nutraceuticals. And they said, basically, we yeah, it's a Hail Mary. We told our family to write up her will, because at this time, you have to understand, she wasn't able to recognize herself, her family. Right. She was not able to participate in physical therapy. She was bed bound. She put a peg tube in her because she could not feed herself. She was an asphyxiation risk, choking risk. And she's on dialysis limits her quality of life. Right. Yeah. So they said, fine, go ahead. So we ordered the ivermectin, put it through her peg tube within 12 hours. She was able to communicate her name within about 24, 36 hours. She was aware of her situation and she was recognizing her husband again within three days. She was able to eat by mouth because she was fully participant in her care. She had about 85 to 90% of her mental and physical faculties back. And so I did trend her COVID antibodies and they also proportionally went down. We don't, you normally utilize that as, you know, a treatment guidance today's age, but it was the landmark cornerstone case for me that I said, we are missing the mark. We're absolutely missing the mark. She actually started to pick up in some uh, renal function too, which was interesting. Um, So that I started to hang my hat on and I said, we got to do something because we got to get people well. That's what I'm here for. Right. Wow. You're speaking as all providers were supposed, they took an oath to speak that way when they got out of medical school and they say, I'm on our way to this great living and this Mm -hmm. great life, but they promised Mm -hmm. they would not hurt their patients. They said, do no harm. And it's silly that you had to have them sign up on do no Mm -hmm. harm, but we did a lot of harm to people and you had a a beautiful story there. Mm -hmm. And I'm having this almost, I mean, I mean, these are the kind of stories that for the non-believer in what they did i mean do you think she's making this up i mean right i mean what is going so so it's breakthrough and it's another strong super strong voice Mm -hmm. in the health freedom movement our guest is rochelle vop she is with mehan md of course doc mehan uh has been another fighter in the uh, whole health freedom movement and just debunking this whole Mm -hmm. uh, government issued medicines i want to move into today so you 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 say at the end of 2022 this is all Mm -hmm. happening Right. And it's say, yeah, okay, we have to, we cannot be in this environment. I have to do something. Right. Start from there. Yeah. So um, I resigned just because there was uh, some changes going on within our company structure. And um, the position that I was offered for retention just 
wasn't a compatible fit. Um, so I started looking for something else. I honestly didn't know what I was going to do. Um, but I am a believer um, in the Lord. Amen. And I prayed and I said, God, if you would give me even half a day somewhere where I can help people that have either been injured by this modified technology, this modified RNA, um, or have long haul COVID symptoms, I will do anything and everything. I just need the income to support myself and I will somehow help people get well. Um, so I started working pickup shifts, moonlighting, you know, around town. Um, and my mother had gone to a Reawaken America tour and had heard Dr. Meehan speak. Now, throughout this entire yes. pandemic, we live a few miles from each other. I had never heard of his name. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so she sent me his name and she said, I think you should reach out to him. You know, you two seem similar in mission and style. Oh. So I sent them a resume. Uh, he and I met and I, I like to joke, you know, instead of, um, you know, applying for a job, we, 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 formulated a business plan. <laughs> right. um, and I have completely focused now my career um, and my uh, medical journey um, in this season to dedicate to helping specifically people that have been injured by these modified RNA shots and or are struggling post-infection. Because we do, do still see people, especially with that Delta wave variant that experienced the mm -hmm. Delta form, um, really struggle with a lot of um, post-COVID right. issues ongoing. Uh, so that is primarily why I'm here at Meehan MD. Um, I also do, though, um, adjunct therapy with him in the hormonal wellness space and rebalancing, as well as um, functional medicine consultations. And then kind of anything else, if you got the cold or flu, we can help and you. We're out. virtual. I mean, let it fly in office or virtual care. All of the above. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. Mm -hmm. See, this is what I'm thinking Doc Meehan has. I think he is gone and God has given him a health freedom superstar. And the reason I say it, because you present this very well, but you have an experience that is very unique. In mm. fact, I bet you, you couldn't find a hundred people in the country right now mm -hmm. that had that experience in the ER, in the whole trauma area. And then now have come out on the other side. I don't, and now are treating the consequences of that. I don't think you're going to find very many people doing that. I wonder it sounds like you always had sort of a patient first root of the issue. Let's find the answer rather than slap a a, a, a right. pharmaceutical. I mean, you had to be already instilled with that or or that's what kind right. of would have shaped your, your journey, right? Sure. You know, to some degree, I think part of what I have to say is that, you know, the way that the business of medicine is in a hospital sense, right. Uh, it doesn't allow for time to be able to do deep dives and investigations. Part of the reason why I was able to is because I worked with a brilliant physician and we collaborated very well together. He was very, you know, large picture, move the, move the needle. And I was very detail orientated and we knew that about each other. So we allowed each other our respective partnership to work nice. in that way. Um, so I, I, it just, by the grace of the relationship that we had and the model that we were in, we were able to do that type of care. Um, but on a whole that, you know, what the industry wants from us as a hospitalist is numbers. Um, they have, we have a certain, you know, baseline threshold that we're supposed to see of patients per day um, to meet their bottom line or to meet our salary requirements. We're incentivized, you know, to make profit off of certain diagnosis codes um, and, you know, how many patients we see in a certain time period. So, I've just always been someone who loves science. I'm just someone who always loves getting down to the root of issues and answers. I love the investigation. I grew up reading Nancy Drew, you know? And Not nice. I, medicine is my is my, is my mystery. Uh, awesome. Every day. But I understand that everybody's unique and we don't all present the same way. While certain things smell like a duck, walk like a duck, quack like a duck, I'm looking for zebras sometimes too, right. because the human body is original to its you know individual form. 
Um, so there, I just, I just, part of it is my personality. Part of it was, you know, um, there's been some restrictions on that, um, ability to have the freedom to explore and to critically think, um, because of the challenges of the business of medicine at this point in time. Um, and I just feel really fortunate to be, or to have landed in a space and be in collaboration with Dr. Meehan, where we, um, synergistically uh, allow freedom and uh, curiosity and the uh, investigation of things to get to root causes rather than slap a pill for every ill, as I'm sure you've heard him say. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think you both hit a lottery ticket. I think God was so good and said, here, just Mm -hmm. sprinkle a little of this on a little gasoline on the fire, because I know Mm -hmm. Doc Meehan Mm-hmm. It is so we needed courageous and bold providers. And the more of them that say, well, this is where all the money's at. This is where all the patients at. This is where all the pleasures at, because yeah. this is where the patients are now seeking. So I right. just commend what you guys are doing and, mm-hmm. and just love it. Of course, Rochelle Voth, our mm-hmm. guest, um, she's a PA with Doc Meehan, MeehanMD.com. Okay. So, so we're still dealing with less COVID vaccine intake, you know, the uptake is very low. I mean, not like Mm -hmm. the first time. So that's a good sign. But I am always curious on because the vaccine injuries presented so differently uh, for so many people. Some people went psychotic, like you described. Uh, What's I mean, is that a pretty common call for you guys now to have a vaccine related injury or or just something that they think has changed and we just want to look at it? Yeah, you know, so it's 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 a difficult. It can be a tricky conversation because we don't have perfect testing for it, right? Right. Um, you know, there is a Texas pharmacy that I believe they've quantified how they found a way to quantify how much spike protein is in your blood. That would be a very useful tool for us yes. as clinicians, but it's not commercially available at this point. Um, right. So the questions often asked: Well, how do I know if what I'm going through is was related to prior infection or injection, right? Yes. Um, and so there are certain clinical um, syndromes that we're seeing. For example, autoimmune diseases are very indicative. Um, A flare of a prior existing autoimmune condition or a new onset of one. What do I mean by autoimmune? you know, I mean things by like large joint swelling or arthritic pains. Um, I mean, you know, uh, there's been autoimmune kidney diseases that have manifested. Um, you know, there's a lot of ne- the largest group of categories of symptoms that manifested post-shot issues were neurological, actually before they were cardiac. Um, so we all know about the myocarditis and we all know about the blood clots. Right. And those are two very relevant categories. But neurological, so brain fog, dizziness, um, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, that isn't the cardiac world, but um, can present as a neurological symptom because your primary manifestation is I'm dizzy when I stand up. Um, You also feel palpitations as well. Um, If I didn't say before, numbness and tingling of your hands and your feet, um, electrical shocks in different areas along your arms or your legs is very common. I found tinnitus, ringing of the ears. Um, And these are things that aren't mitigated by medical model, traditional pill for every ill. So routinely, if I have numbness and tingling on my hands and my feet, my provider might place me on gabapentin. And usually that would work in the realm and space of prior or pre-COVID era. Yeah. Now I've tried that and it's not working. And I might've tried even a little bit of, you know, an SSRI or something, and that's not working. And what we have found is that traditional therapies do not match the principal problem. Mm. And when that happens, usually the story is when I get from patients is I've been to five to 15 different doctors. I've tried five to 10 different therapies, you know, and nothing works. And that doesn't make sense to me. So these are kind of, these are, these are symptoms that look like things we know, but don't mitigate with strategies that we've learned 
you know, from years and years of experience and research. Yeah, we haven't mastered that yet. You're right. No, no. And so, um, you know, what this world is, I like to call it a new frontier of medicine because post-COVID realm is really a marriage of pulling things from some of the medical model, but pulling a lot of things from the nutraceutical model or repurpose pharmacological drugs that have proven and withstood the test of time and their safety and efficacy. Yes. Um, so for neurological symptoms, for example, tinnitus ringing in the ear, we actually use oxytocin, um, oxytocin to help calm that down and nasal spray, or we use things like low dose naltrexone, um, or we'll use like methylene blue. These are things that your primary care and your hospitalist team could use. There's absolutely no yeah. restrictions but they just don't have the awareness of right now right. in that space because they're part functional medicine. Are they allowed to though? I mean, isn't it still yeah. fighting? Well, that's Aren't true. they still kind? I mean, because that's what I always think. Okay, are these doctors and hospital people, are they just doing this because they're just that uh, in a trance, whatever you say, Nick, or, and they have no ability to think outside the box or have right. they had all outside the box thinking removed? Mm-hmm. If you want to work in this hospital, if you want to be this doctor, yeah. You're not prescribing ivermectin or you're fired. I mean, don't you feel like that has to be going on by this well, point? And that was there and that still is there. For example, with the patient that I had that went acutely psychotic and into renal failure, um, when it was time she had insurance stays up, she had to move to a new facility. When that happened, I specifically <laughs> called facilities to say, hey, we have her on this protocol. Will that be an issue at your institution? And one institution said to me, yes, we will actually take that medication away, ivermectin, and we will have we will have to you will have to prove to us that she needs it by regression of symptoms. And I'm like, oh, literally, that's what the physician on the phone said to me. Man, wow. And I thought, well, I'm not sending her to you, first of all. So what <laughs> I ended up doing was giving the, the prescription bottle to the family and I sent her to a different facility. That facility actually did retract it and they crossed it out in her chart. Wow. Um, and then the patient did have regression of symptoms and ultimately had a demise. Um, so sad story at the end of it, but you know, the miracle was in the middle. And ivermectin is a Nobel Peace Prize, a Nobel, or, 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 you know, all-time, Nobel prize. okay, Nobel yeah. Prize winner. Um, it's probably been consumed, I don't know, 5 billion times oh, or more. Right. One of the safest drugs. So that's where I think they weren't allowed right. to think outside the box because to right. look at that medicine and say, you're not bringing fentanyl into this facility right. or, or whatever they were deeming it as dangerous mm-hmm. as, I mean, only a, a satanic lie could twist mm-hmm. into say, no, that is bad. Vaccine is good. And remdesivir yeah. is a whole, I mean, because people don't appreciate the remdesivir, you know, the lawsuits and the, and the whole crimes that have come against humanity on the vaccines, remdesivir was just as evil. Mm-hmm. And so people, they need to have this little light bulb going on and saying, okay, I'm not vaccinating anymore, but now mm-hmm. I want to speak out. I want right. to be bolder and braver because that's what I feel like that next push for people is, is, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it smells wrong. You know, it's wrong. You've, you've yeah. been convinced by doctor after provider, after provider, mm-hmm. after study, after study, these aren't safe for you. Okay, mm-hmm. check the next state. Tell a friend right. that's maybe still in denial. So go to a right. school board to speak. Tell your pediatrician right. now. Hey, tell me what's it. Because again, you just talked about money in the hospital. It's the same thing mm-hmm. going on in the pediatrician's office. We need to get your child on that schedule. It needs to be right. 72 vaccines. And when people start realizing that their provider sees your child as a way to buy that next boat, that's a money revenue. And they're just injecting mercury and aluminum. And here we go. We're not stopping. And we're not asking, is this safe for the human body? A child, this is a two-month-old. Are we sure? Right. You know, we have to pause. We cannot do status quo because I think danger, medicine has gotten too dangerous. Mm-hmm. Big pharma's got too dangerous to just mm-hmm. trust them. Right. Well, and part of my training too, you know, um, is that we were never taught how to read research. I have to say that very honestly. Right. 
Um, you know, I had talked with Dr. McCullough about this off on the side when I met him at a dinner and he actually asked me, he's like, now in your, in your current training model um, for PA school, were you taught to read, you know, um, the childhood schedule, vaccination schedule? Were you taught anything pros or cons for it? Were you taught anything about its efficacy and how, you know, if it was the actual reason for the solutions? And I said, no. And he goes, neither was I. Now we're a few years in difference. Sure. Um, so obviously that's just been the way that the teaching yeah. and the tutelage has been. Um, so to my own, um, I don't know the right word for it, but I should have asked those questions back then. Right. Um, I really should have. And it shocks me that I never did now knowing what I know. Right. Um, but it's, it's, it, it's a, it's a gradual process. I mean, no thought usually changes quickly overnight. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest when I heard first about ivermectin in the beginning baby phases of the pandemic, I thought to myself, that's too simple. It can't work, which is prideful, right? Right. Um, and I just truly is also, I was ignorant of it because I'd never used it before. So there was a little bit of a fear because I'm not, I've not been trained on it. I've not put it in people. Um, and even to be honest, when I used it on this patient in the hospital, I was, I was up through the night thinking what's going to happen right. you now. Um, and now having used it so, you know, much more in my yeah. clinical practice, I'm like, my gosh, I worried way too much. Right, exactly. <laughs> It's safer well, than think about the po- think child. about the poor guy that gave the vaccine to the to the COVID shot. I mean, how does that guy sleep at night? And here you're worried about ivermectin. You know, I, I know, true, true, right? Conscious yeah. of heart. Yeah, you know, it, it's it, part of it is there's a restriction of information. So if there are physicians out there looking for the information, it is difficult to find. Um, part of it is there's no time to look for the information, which sure. you know you could give them the grace or not for that. Um, and right. then part of it is the business administration and what they will allow, because I'm not, I'm not sitting in the seat that allows the purchase of power or, or the power of purchase, right. excuse me, um, yeah. to get those medications in my door. I can call the pharmacist. Like I called that one hospital that I was going to send that patient to when her insurance days were up. And I called the pharmacy department. I said, do you have ivermectin in stock? And they said, we have four pills. And I said, well, I'm going to need you to get more if I'm going to send you this patient. And they said, I have to run that up by superiors. Right. Uh, uh, so, you know, my hands are tied to right. really, truly as a clinician yeah. in that setting. And that's another reason as to why I was, I had this stirring in me to say, you know, you got to get out, you got to get out where you can actually help people get well yeah. without any chains, without any restrictions, without any red tape or political influence. Um, and so I was just very fortunate to, uh, be under the, the grace of Dr. Meehan to, and that work. requires, that requires humility to get to mm-hmm. a place like that, you know, because a lot of these docs, they didn't know what they were doing with COVID and they weren't, they were way, and, and nobody did, but, but yeah. I remember, you know, there were some pioneers, of course you go to, you know, right. and a Dr. McCullough's one too, right. but this idea of, nope, it's a ventilator, it's remdesivir, it's morphine, mm-hmm. and it's no questions asked, that's mm-hmm. simply pride. So you hit it on the head to make the conversion to actually return to a state of serving your patient. Yeah, you have to drop all that pride. It's a humility. Yeah. I'm sorry, I don't know what we're doing. What are you doing that's working? Because all I care about is saving my patient. That's right. what we needed, and that's the only thing that patients can now trust going forward. You know, yeah. where were you doing the first COVID? Because, mm-hmm. and this is maybe where we'll kind of end this one is mm-hmm. just give me your kind of glimpse of COVID now in an infection basis acutely, mm-hmm. and then where do you see that going? Because they're not going to be able to continue to roll out vac- COVID viruses and vaccines. I mean, it feels like we're giving up on. We're not into it anymore. 
Right. No, we're not. And I think, you know, yay to the public for becoming aware because the pendulum swing has hit more of a critical mass on the other side now of the right narrative. Um, You know, I see the COVID cases that we have now are pretty well recoverable. Um, You know, we use still hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, um, some antibiotics that are repurposed. I wish the IV monoclonal antibodies were still around because those were really effective uh, when they started. That's why they're gone. Yeah, yeah, I know. And that when they started to shut that down, that's where I also came to right. uh, a little bit of an awareness. And mm-hmm. I had COVID really bad. Um, and I was restricted from getting the antibodies in the initial first 10 days because I was, quote, healthy. And I thought, oh, hold on, since when do I restrict an antibiotic from a child who's, quote, right. healthy, but needs it when they're sick, you know? So right. that didn't make sense to me, too. And that was part of my evolution of waking up as well. Um, but acute COVID right now, we know what to do for it. We know how to treat it. There are some outlier outlying cases, but in general, it's very recoverable. Um, you know, everybody pretty much has had exposure to it at this point. So we have some type of antibodies within our response. Um, it's actually the vaccinated that I see getting COVID. Yep repeat repetitively and it's those people i actually worry about um because right. they seem to have the more we call it COVID hits you have the more chances you have of developing a recurrent inflammation and flipping your body into autoimmune states that will not remit long term um so it's those people i actually worry about more than just the general public that's been unvaccinated um and is dealing right. with you know, a routine bout of covid because we know that the symptoms of it are much less with these other variants going on absolutely i mean the, that that i just read us there's, there's a couple of studies out there the cleveland clinic in 2022 mm-hmm. Yeah. where they did all the healthcare workers and the more it proved it showed the more vaccines you got the more covid you got it's pretty simple i just got one a study from about 24 hours ago okay. it showed in the uk 94 mm. percent of their hospital deaths mm-hmm. after the co after the vaccine rollout were vaccinated at least four times so it's just it, wow. it, 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 it continued exactly i'm going to get this posted wow. on our social and get yeah. that out i, I, I saw it. that should be a headline around the world everybody screams Um, But it's frustrating that we haven't had, you know, so here's, you know, we want everybody who's offended by this to now take action, right? But we know we're not going to get everybody at one time. We're going to move a heart at a time and we're going to just drip it in there and we're going to get movement. I think we are. Our guest is Rochelle Voff. She's PA at MehanMD.com. This has been very rich. I can't thank you enough. How much information was just spilled out? So we're going to get this out on all of our places. We'll get show links every way. Leave us though, everywhere we can support you, connect with you, schedule with you. Leave us with how we can do it. Yeah, absolutely. So mehanmd.com, like you said, um, is a way to schedule an appointment with us. We actually do something called introductory appointments where we just talk about your symptoms. Do they fit COVID long haul? Do they fit a COVID vaccine injury where you don't have to risk anything? Okay. Uh, Because oftentimes we know you've been down the line and we don't want you to waste your time or your money um, if we don't think you're a right fit. So mehanmd.com is a way you can book a telehealth appointment with us. You can also call our number 918-600-2240. And again, 918-600-2240. Um, and just ask for an appointment in that regard. But we're licensed in, I think, 35 states now. Um, So that allows us to reach quite a lot of people. And we have those states listed on our website so you can see that. Um, It would take too long to kind of list those off and rattle them right now. Excellent. Um, We'll point them all that way. Yeah, we really enjoy uh, meeting you all. Um, Some people fly in to see us from different states. If you're in the Tulsa, Oklahoma area, that's where we have our, um, you know, brick and mortar. Um, But we get to visit with a bunch of different people around the U.S., and we're very fortunate to that regard. Amen to that. I want to say mm-hmm. God bless you and thank, thank you for you. your work. As many of you, we just need to multiply now, and I think you two are going to be on an absolute mission and, and mm-hmm. path to 
helping so many people. So I just think it's wonderful there. And I can't thank you enough. I hope we can get you back again. But folks, do this until next time. Serve God. Help others. Stay good. Goodbye. God bless everybody. You're listening to The Bravest Show on Radio, The Matthew Dark Show. Hit subscribe anywhere you get your shows and never miss an episode.